Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today, our guest on the podcast is Dr. Tiberius Ratza, known affectionately as Tibbs around these parts. Dr. Ratza is Assistant Dean of the School of Ministry Studies and Professor of Old Testament Studies at Grace College and Theological Seminary. Dr. Ratza is a graduate of California State Polytechnic University and holds an MDiv from Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary and a PhD in Old Testament from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Maybe, maybe even more impressively, he is by far the best table tennis player I've ever played against, and he's not a shabby golf player either. So, Tibbs, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I got to get into the hard-hitting you know, hitting journalism right off the bat. So um, table tennis um, or ping pong, are they different? And then how did how did that get into your repertoire of skills? And you've like played in national tournaments and all this stuff, right? Yeah, no, they're the same. But I grew up in Romania in the, in the 70s and 80s, and there was not much to do. So <laughs> when I was six, I went into this uh, table tennis academy, and I, I learned how to play uh, ping pong. And uh, it's been very handy playing with students, giving them extra credit. So if a student beats me, I give the whole class extra credit. So in 14 years at Grace, I gave extra credit three times. Wow. Yeah. So your record, you're not sure how many wins, but you know how many losses. Three, yeah. And all of them were tennis players. Really interesting, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But you've also played like in national tournaments, right? Yeah. When I came to the States, I played in tournaments. I was ranked. Uh, but uh, back then, most of the tournaments were on Sundays. So me being a good Southern Baptist boy, I had to give that up because <laughs> I felt guilty missing church. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. I, I fancy myself a ping pong player, but not one within uh, your ranks at all. But it's a fun one for sure. It's fun. Um, so you mentioned Romania. You didn't grow up in northern Indiana. Um, so tell me a little bit about where you grew up and then kind of how you came to Christ. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Romania, uh, born in 1970. Uh, my parents were believers. My grandparents were believers, so I grew up in a small Baptist church. Uh, I went to school. I was told there is no God. Uh, but again, by the time I went to school, I already knew there is a God because I was taught by my parents and my grandparents. Um, when I was 13, I surrendered my life to the Lord. And then when I was uh, 15 and a half, my dad, well, actually when I was 14, my dad defected. He paid a fisherman to take him across the border into what used to be Yugoslavia. The United Nations had a refugee camp. He made it there. Then they sent him to Italy. He arrived here in November of 84. Then he came here, did the paperwork for us to come. So uh, I came with my mom and my older brothers in January of 86. Wow. And then... Um how old were you then when you came to I the United 15 States? 15 and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then how did uh, sort of ministry and then, you know, higher education come into the picture? It actually was that spring, um, Joseph Tson, a Romanian who was forced to leave the country, came to our church in Southern California and he said, communism in Romania will fall. And this is three years before it fell. 
Hmm. So communism in Romania will fall. Will you be ready to go back and help your country rebuild? And that's when I felt a call to the ministry. So I always thought I was going to go back to Romania and teach. So I knew I needed a PhD. That's why my undergrad was not really serious for me. I just got it because I knew I was going to go to seminary. So my degrees in urban and regional planning, uh, but all my electives were in tennis, ping pong, volleyball, <laughs> soccer. So anyway, it was a fun, uh, fun time, but I always knew I was going to go uh, teach. So that's why I went to seminary, uh, got a PhD. When I went to seminary, I, I knew that if I liked Greek better, I would teach New Testament. If I liked Hebrew better, I would teach Old Testament. I took Greek and Hebrew at the same time. Apparently, you're not supposed to do wow. that. Wow, yeah. yeah no, there were no advisors at that <laughs> school, say, apparently. Man. But I liked Hebrew better, so uh, here I am. Wow. And then God spoke along the way through closed doors and open doors, and uh, I came to Grace in uh, 2005. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have been, and we're going to actually talk about one of your uh, books, some on the podcast in a little more detail, but you've been a pretty prolific writer or and contributor. Any idea how many books you've written or contributed to at this point? Well, my first uh, book was my PhD dissertation, which was on Jeremiah, uh, was on the New Covenant in Jeremiah. My second uh, book was on Ezra Nehemiah, the publisher from Scotland. My third was the commentary on Ecclesiastes with Kevin Roberts, and then this with uh, Walter Kaiser on Jeremiah. And I'm currently working on another one on Proverbs with Kevin Roberts. So people might be interested to know, or at least I'm interested to know, as somebody who has a whole zero behind their number of books published so far, like how does that process work? Do do publishers come to you? Mm. Um, Do you send a proposal to them? How does that dance of getting towards a publication work? Yeah, well, it's a combination of things. For example, the first one, because it was my PhD dissertation and, you know, not a lot of copies were sold (laughs) or will sell. Basically, libraries buy those. Okay. Uh, I had to look for the publisher. Actually, for my first book, I had to pay $3,000 for them to publish my book. Ah, yeah. With the second one, I was teaching at Beeson Divinity School, and a publisher came there, and uh, a Christian Focus from Scotland came, and uh, I asked them, do you have any gaps uh, in your publishing? Are you looking for certain people to fill certain gaps? And they said, yeah, actually, we have a mentor commentary series, and we need someone to write Ezra Nehemiah. Would you be interested? And I said, Yeah. <laughs> So five years later, the commentary was published, which which is about the average time a book is written. It takes a long time. Wow. Probably especially commentaries, I would guess. Yeah, especially how big the book is. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, for example, this book, I was approached by the uh, publisher and said, hey, Walter Kaiser is working on this, would like for someone to join him. And again, they approached me because they knew I have written on Jeremiah before. And that's how I came along. So then how do you decide um, projects you're going to take on and projects you decide, you know, I'm going to pass on that one? Or even you mentioned co-writing with Dr. Roberts, you know, projects you want to pursue. Like, How's that process of deciding yes, no, or here's a subject matter I'm really interested in? How's that work for you? Well, with Ecclesiastes, when Terry White was a publisher, editor at BMH, I talked to him and I, I said, hey, I want to write something with BMH. 
And then he said, well, what, what, what are you passionate about? And at that time was Ecclesiastes. So that's what I said, Ecclesiastes. Uh, after we did that, uh, Kevin and I were talking about Proverbs because it's very practical. And again, I'm doing the theological side. He's doing the psychological part. So it's, uh, it was kind of, uh, hey, we did this before, and I loved working with him. He's, he's very godly and humble, and it's very easy to work with. So I said, I want to write with you again. And then um, I talked to Dr. Edgington, and we're planning to write one on Job. So uh, sometimes you write out what, what are you passionate about. Sometimes the publisher approaches you. I have never gotten to the point where I had to turn someone down. <laughs> Maybe that's a problem, but uh, I'm not there yet. Yeah. And uh, I, I find it interesting that you've um, chosen some behavioral psychologists to work with in writing on certain books of the Bible, because not always would people see um, theologians and psychologists writing together on books of the Bible. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by that. So tell me, you know, why why you you bringing in a partner from you know that field? Well, actually, I was teaching uh, the Ecclesiastes class one time, and then Kevin came and sat in the classroom. Uh, he just liked to be in the class, and uh, as we were having discussions uh, with students, Dr. Roberts, Kevin would, would always uh, have really some really good insight and. I think I was around chapter two. I said, well, why, why don't we write this together? <laughs> and he immediately said yes, and it was, I think it was very good. And um, I think Proverbs will be even, uh, even better because we're doing a topical series verse rather than verse by verse. Sure. Proverbs would be very hard to do verse by verse, so we're <laughs> doing topical, and I think it will be even, even better. That's awesome. Okay, so Jeremiah is your most recent work. Um, that came out just recently, correct? A couple of months ago, yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, Jeremiah, it's the most uplifting book in the Bible, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, someone said to me, I started reading Jeremiah, and then I stopped. It was too depressing. The truth is that Jeremiah does talk a whole lot about sin and judgment, but he also talks about restoration. Chapters 30 to 33 are called the Book of Comfort, that's when God promises through Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant. Mm. I'm going to bring you back. So the problem is sometimes we don't read the whole book to see the restoration part. Actually, if you read all the prophets, I would say 95% of them talk about sin, judgment, restoration. You have sinned. These are your sins. Because you have sinned, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to send you into exile. But if you read carefully at the end of the book, they always talk about restoration. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. And the good news is so good because there's bad news. Mm. And we can't just focus on the bad news. We can't just focus on the good news. We, ha we got to give people the whole counsel of God. Wow, that's good. What would be some um, surprising or unique stories or facts uh, that listeners might learn or find out about Jeremiah in reading your commentary? Well, first of all, Jeremiah was called when he was probably a teenager. He was very young when he was called. Um, his ministry spanned at least 40 years. Um, he probably had very few converts 
which tells me that uh, in God's economy, success is not measured by the number of converts, but how faithful you are to your ministry that you were called. Uh, you know, you and I, whenever we're in ministry, we thank God that at least we have a wife that supports us. Well, God told Jeremiah, you should not marry. So he never married. So that's an interesting fact. Uh, actually, the book of Jeremiah is the longest in the Bible, uh, if you count. Which is why it's a big commentary, if you count right? Towards, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so some people think the Psalms are the longest, but actually the book of Jeremiah is the longest. Um, yeah, but I, I love it because it talks about, it's, it's God's word. Uh, Jeremiah is very authentic. He goes through pain and suffering. He has what scholars call his confessions, you know, when, mm. they, when he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with God and he's very raw, uh, very genuine and authentic. And he has discussions with God about uh, what's going on, and he's not always happy. That's that's why it's called the weeping prophet. Uh, but um, but God is using him, and he continues to be faithful to the God that called him. As you were writing the commentary, um, one that you've done before, work you've done before in Jeremiah, and so this is very familiar to you. But sometimes when we read scripture, something stands out different. You know, we can read the same verse and it's a different part of it that stands out to us. Um, for you, as you went through it this time, what what sort of jumped off the pages? What what meant a lot to you? Well, Dr. Dr. Kaiser wrote most of the commentary. Well, I was brought along to deal primarily with the Hebrew text. Hmm. So I did the very minutial word of going into the Hebrew text and comparing it with the Greek text. So I really worked uh, verse by verse. Um, it was very, um, at times, not very exciting, you know, what we would call the tedious, boring work. But it's interesting that whenever I get into the, the detailed work of Scripture, that's what brings me most joy. So I don't know why that is, but um, just dealing with certain words and the way they're used and how they're translated, it's still the Word of God, and it, it's what brings me joy, Dealing, uh, uh, digging deep into the mm. text. And uh, um, the other thing that a publisher asked me to do is to go into some German and uh French work and authors, so we can make it uh, as academic as, as we can. So uh, I wish I could tell her I learned some something more from these uh, Greek, uh, from these German and uh, French scholars. Uh, I'm not sure I did, <laughs> but it's interesting to um, to just see what they have to say and yeah. to make sure we we dig as deep into the text as we can and to listen to other voices. Uh, and just that's part of scholarship. And God is a God of detail. And uh, I know for me, as somebody who grew up in the church and has heard a lot of sermons, um, when you get down to the minutia or what sometimes is, you know, boring mm -hmm. is where the greatest truth and impact can be found because you realize God is a God of detail, and he is who he is from beginning to end. Um, and I thank you for your faithfulness in pointing that out to us. Um, so this uh, new book, hold it up to camera, make sure people can see it there. Okay, yep. 
Very good. So uh, it's out, and uh, we'll certainly be featuring it uh, where we can at Grace. Where uh, where can people find it? You can find it on uh, Amazon, <laughs> ChristianBook.com. Uh, it's published by Lexham Press, Logos. Actually, if people have Logos, they actually can uh, even have the e-copy if they want. And, uh, yeah, it's on sale. Cool. And the <laughs> next one's Proverbs. Yeah, so the one in Proverbs is with uh, BMH again, and uh, we're just at the stage of uh, research right now, and uh, it's going to take us at least two years to, to write it, and uh, it's one chapter at a time. It's not just Kevin and I, actually, uh, Newt Larson will be writing the application points, Okay. so he'll be bringing a pastoral perspective, and that's also unique about Proverbs, and I think it'll be really, really good. That's neat. You got the trifecta. There you go. Yeah. It's a good break, Grace Brethren. Always got to do things in three. So <laughs> okay. I'll expect this one to take off even more. All right. Uh, one of the other things that um, I wanted to ask you about is um, what you do on the side with interim pastoring. So, you know, you're sort of a professor by day, interim pastor by night and weekend, <laughs> I guess. Um, and uh, you, you're even currently doing that, right? You're currently at a church? Yes, I'm interim pastor at Community Grace Brethren Church here in Warsaw. And you've done this for a number of years at a number of different churches. Yeah, I. it was interesting how that started. I started in 2006. Uh, I started as just doing pulpit supply at Calvary Bible Church in Kalamazoo. And then about three months later, they asked me to, to be their interim pastor. And I asked them how long. They said, about three months. Well, I ended up being there about two years. Um, and then um, Brookside Church in Fort Twain, and then Blackhawk Church in Fort Twain, and then I did Calvary Bible Church again in Kalamazoo. <laughs> their, their pastor decided to go full-time on the mission field, so they asked me to go back. This time it was only six months, so it was better. And then in November of last year, I started at Community Grace, and I'm still there. Hopefully I'll be done by the end of the year. So when you go into, it's kind of a niche you found, you know, there's a lot of, a lot do pulpit supply, but interim's a, a different, I would guess. Um, t tell me what you go in hoping to accomplish or um, what you go in and assess and how that interim works for you. Well, this might not be a perfect analogy, but I, the pastor is kind of like the captain of the ship. So a ship without a captain is pretty bad. So as the interim pastor, basically, I just try to keep the ship afloat until the next pastor comes in. So really, I'm not a magician. I don't do any magical work. I just provide stability in the pulpit, basically. That's, that's what I do primarily, especially with churches that are far away. With this church uh, locally, it's a little different because I'm here. I can attend elder meetings. I can visit the sick. I can go uh, to someone at home who cannot come to church and give communion. So it's a little different. And I've done it more at this church than I usually have done. Mm. Uh, and also, this is nice in a way. I only preach one service. You know, at, at, at uh, Brookside, I had to do three services. At Calvary, I did two services. So. Um, it, it's interesting, and it really depends on the church. I can do as little or as much as they want me to do, or as I can do. And is it uh, that mentality of keeping the ship afloat that you feel like makes it work well? You're, you're not trying to take them somewhere. You're not trying to. You're just 
you're helping them in the interim. Exactly. If they ask me my opinion on something, I can give it to them. I can. Mm. I've been to the, some of their board meetings, and they ask me, "What do you think about this? What do you think about this?" But ultimately, they make decisions. I, I'm just an advisor, yeah. uh, basically. One nice thing about doing this is that as I go, I recruit. And I'm not doing that intentionally. But, for example, when I was at Calvary, uh, I remember Jillian Jones, for example. Yeah. I don't think she ever heard of Grace before uh, from Kalamazoo. She came here, and she loved it, and she did great. She was one of our best students. And then she went as a missionary to um, Albania. She's actually teaches school in Albania, yes. at an international school. Or Luke Johnson from uh, Brookside. He was a pastor there. He came and did a master's degree here. Uh. Now teaches at Lakewood uh, Christian School. Uh, so you take the name of Grace there, and and vice versa, and it's a great way for um, the school to get some exposure in different churches as well. Yeah, and I'm hoping that now with Deploy, hopefully I can recruit even more people who are in ministry, don't want to move here or cannot move here, but they can do, um, they want to do master level work, get a seminary degree, basically contextualized ministry. That's wonderful. So, yeah. It's a, uh, what I think is neat about it is it's a niche that only certain people can fill um, and and it's needed, right? You know, churches need that when they're in transition, um, and somebody with a unique skill set to be able to do that, not just for a Sunday, but for a period of time, is a, a really neat way to serve the church. Yeah, and I, I like it because I am also not teaching from the ivory tower perspective. Mm. Uh, as a, just an academician who's out there just thinking in the world of ideas, but I am in the trenches, the day-to-day -day trenches, and I deal with things like, hey, my my kid is rebelling, you know, my husband is thinking of leaving me, and how do you deal with that? Well, I, I get to teach the Bible here, and I get to teach the Bible there, so really I have the best job in the world, and um, I, I thank God that I can do it. When you... Um are in the classroom, you know, teaching deep theological truths. You're in the church teaching deep theological truths and making application. Um, what do you What do you see that is similar and different between those two settings? I think the main thing for my students to understand and for the church to understand is that the Bible is the Word of God without error. And as long as that is our foundation, that is what uh, is important because other things will change, but that will, will never change. And for example, e e even if you're looking at what's happening in the news today, you know, with, with people don't want to be called he or she, for example. Well, and that's going to be in our society. And then when I, when I go and I teach Genesis, male and female, he created them. That's God's design. To go anything beyond that would be to go beyond, beyond Scripture. So I'm trying to, to tell them that whatever we're studying in Scripture is very relevant, but our foundation cannot be a news channel or 
someone's philosophy, but our foundation is to be in the Word of God that never changes. Mm, that's really good. And that's needed no matter where you are or what you're doing, right? And, uh, at uh, school, at <laughs> the church, uh, in the workplace, everywhere. If we don't have a strong foundation to be anchored in, um, then everything becomes relative. And then once there's no absolute truth, then we're in trouble. And that's why you know I'm so privileged to work at a place like Grace College and Seminary, um, one of the few institutions in the United States uh, that would be willing to make that claim mm-hmm. and a needed claim for the future of our church because we need more pastors, but we need more business folks and more educators and more behavioral psychologists and all the like who are really good at what they do, but also would say the word of God is the foundational truth of my life. And I build upon that rock Mm -hmm. and that rock alone. Um, That's how we change the world. And that's why it's great to partner with a guy like you and uh, do this great work um, that we get to do at Grace College and Seminary. Okay. So one of the things we like to do at the podcast um, is Ask some rapid-fire questions <laughs> that you are totally unprepared for. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I promise it won't be too painful. Okay. Um, so uh, this is just what comes to mind first, okay? Um, the first one is um, if you could have lunch with anyone besides Jesus, past or present, who would it be and why? Wow. And you can't pick me either. I know that would be kind of top of your list um, too. But I think uh, I'll say Solomon. Uh, I want to see how he went from he who finds a good wife is a gift from the Lord to more bitter than death is the woman. <laughs> 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 what happened? Now, I, I know what happened because, you know, I, I have the Bible to tell me kind of his history. But uh, not just that, but what would he say to the young people today who think that's how I get meaning in life? You know, women and wine and work will bring satisfaction. And I want him to be able to tell them, look, apart from a a correct relationship with God, everything will be meaningless. Hmm. Because I think we have a lot of Solomons in our pews. You know, they sit there and they think meaning is found in this and that. And but then they end up empty. Uh, and I think uh, that will be an interesting lunch. All right. I want to come to lunch with you. That one does sound pretty <laughs> interesting. Um, okay. Besides um, the Bible and your own books, um, what's, uh, what's a book recommendation you would have for people? Well, the, so people ask me that all the time. And uh, my go-to book is Humility by Andrew Murray. It's a classic written in the mid-1800s or so. But I tell my students all the time, we fight the battle for truth, purity, and humility. And to lose any of those battles is tragic. Mm. But nobody's been excommunicated for losing the battle over humility. So, and I find that that's where uh, a lot of the fight is happening. And um, that would be one. But the second one, uh, very much on the same level of that is uh, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. That was very foundational for me growing up. Hmm. Okay, good, 
good two books right there. I'll have to check out that first one I'm not familiar with. So I'll have to uh, check that one out. Um, All right. So a last question. Let's pretend you have a free hour. Um, What are uh, a few of the things that you're into right now? Could be hobbies, TV shows, movies, music, food, sports, anything that you're into right now? Well, whenever I have a day off, uh, basically my wife and I like to go to Chicago. That's kind of like our go-to city. Uh, from a sports perspective, I still, you know, I still play table tennis, ping pong sometimes. Uh, I play golf whenever I have a chance, uh, and then I play tennis. But Chicago, I, Chicago, yeah. It's, what? Okay, so I, um, I, I like Chicago, but yeah. I know relatively little. Oh, um, what's like? Where do I gotta go? Well, we we just go on the Magnificent Mile. That's it. We walk from one end to the other, and we have lunch at Cheesecake Factory, and bam! Wow, great day. Sometimes we go to shows. You know, we've seen Hamilton, which I highly recommend. Um, but uh, yeah, it's now. Do it's you just, drive and park? Do you take the, the yeah, train in? What's we, the? We took the train one time, uh, but we drive and park and come back in the evening, and it's it's a great uh, way to spend the day. All right. The Dr. Ratza date. Go to Chicago, walk the Magnificent, Magnificent mile. mile and get some cheesecake. That sounds like a good day to me. Yep. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast and talking about your life and talking about your work and working in some very good words of wisdom in the midst of that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks as well for all of you for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. And thanks to our co-producers, Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer. And if you can, do us a huge favor and rate and comment on this podcast wherever you retrieved it from, we would be so grateful. Until next time, live your best Grace story today.